Welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian, and I'm sitting here co-hosting for Dave Robson, and uh, in studio with me is Pastor Bo Olette and Pastor Sean Richards. How you doing, gentlemen? I'm good. Ready for action. Doing awesome, man. I'm, I'm getting into the swing of this A Reason for Hope everyday thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, fortunate and very blessed to fill in for Dave for three weeks when he was out of country, and uh, I kind of not having it every day I yeah miss it yeah you kind of get into that that yes. that routine and it's great to be here with both of you and um you know you learn a lot when you're on a show like this you know you, you know because uh just having to answer questions and be in the word and um it's really great i would take it and do it every day at a heartbeat it'd be awesome but uh, anyhow uh, for those of you who may be new this is a reason for hope this is a a weekday Bible answer program where we take questions from you, the audience, live, listening in from literally all over the globe on um, what does the Bible say about a particular issue, whether it be a moral issue or how to discern God's will from knowing whether or not uh, there's good reasons for believing that God exists or that Jesus was a real person in history and that uh, whether or not uh, the resurrection took place. And we get these and so many other questions countless questions from uh, so many different people from different walks of life different backgrounds so we'd encourage you to join us and uh, <clears throat> if you do there are multiple ways you can join the live stream we take questions from you uh, live on there we don't take calls but uh, it, we do take your questions in real time so if you want to ask a question pertaining to the Bible as long as it's sincere and uh, it's a, a genuine question about the Christian faith or things related to the Christian faith and Christian worldview, then we would be happy to take your questions. Uh, you can join us by doing so, uh, uh, by joining us on Facebook. You just go to facebook.com and uh, you can look, search for our handle uh, at CCF Tucson. You can just do that or you can search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Go to our page and join us during the live stream. Use the comment box to ask your questions and we monitor that, that throughout the program. Uh, you can also join us on YouTube, and if you do join us on some of these social media platforms, we would ask that you would kindly subscribe, like, share, uh, hit that notification bell. We live stream all of our services as well, and we are a church that teaches through the books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So if you want to do a study, for example, the book of Revelation, uh, you can go through the entire book, verse by verse, as a study with our senior pastor, Scott Richards. So I'd encourage you to do that. <clears throat> If you've joined us on YouTube, by the way, um, you can find us at a reason for at a reason for hope 546 is our YouTube handle, or you can just search for a reason for hope on YouTube and you'll find us there. Uh, we archive our program on Rumble as well as Facebook and YouTube. We leave those live streams there, so you can find any backlog of questions that we've answered. We usually entitled the top three questions that we've answered in that program so it's very easy to filter through and find an answer to a question you might have even if you uh, want to ask but we would encourage you to ask anyways because we don't mind asking the same question twice if you want to go to rumble please follow us we'd really appreciate to grow our audience there if you don't want to listen to the program on a social media platform you can actually just go to our website that's calvarychristianfellowship.com and you hit that watch live tab or in the navigation watch live and there you can watch the live stream you can ask questions in the chat box you can make prayer requests there's a nice little prayer request button 
Uh, and again, we live stream not only this program Monday through Friday from 5 to 6 p.m., but we also live stream all of our services. That's our Wednesday night Oasis service as well as three Sunday morning services. So we'd encourage you to join with us if you do not have a place where you uh, <clears throat> can um, be fed the word on a regular basis. We also have an app. We'd encourage you to check it out. If you are a part of our community, you can download it from the Apple or Google Play Store. And in this app, you can not only know what is going on in our little community here in Tucson, Arizona, uh, from week to week, special events, gatherings, so on. But you can also watch the live stream. You can go and in, into our archives of sermons and listen to those. Or you, it is also has a nifty digital Bible where you can take notes and um, highlight texts and follow along messages. There's chat groups you can create and join chat groups and so much more. So we'd encourage you to check that out if you have not and you're a part of our community. Also, we live stream our services to all the Amazon Fire and Roku products. So if you have a Roku device or an Amazon Fire device, you can add our channel to your TV, your smart device, and watch our services and this program there. Finally, if you want to ask a question and you want to do it more discreetly via email is the way to do it. So you can just email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, no numbers, at gmail.com. And for those of you listening on the radio, that might be the easiest way for you to submit a question if you just listen to the radio here locally in Tucson, Arizona, and uh, don't necessarily watch live, you can do that. With that said, how about we take a moment to pray and start getting some questions? Absolutely. Bo, would you pray for us? Yes, absolutely. That was, that was so quiet. That was like your prayer voice. I love it. <laughs> yeah, let's pray. Father, we give you glory today. Thank you so much for the opportunity we have. And uh, we certainly have a reason for the hope that is uh, within us, and that's you, Jesus. We love you. Pray your Holy Spirit would guide us, guide the show today. And may you be uh, with all those that are listening and bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. That is true. Amen. Well, is there anything that you want to, any updates, anything you want to cover before we actually tackle some questions that we're getting? Uh, we already have a couple questions popping in through the live stream on our website as well as uh, YouTube. But uh, That's cool. Yeah, the only thing I was going to mention was, uh, you know, one of the great studies in the Bible is with prophecy, biblical prophecy. And it's a super exciting uh, study. Anybody who has, is a student of the Bible or just a reader of the Bible uh, comes to learn really quick that uh, probably one-third of the Bible is prophetic in some form of nature, some nature, you know, some way. And in Zechariah chapter 12 is just an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. It says that this is the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Uh, it says, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays its foundations of the earth, and who, ha who forms the spirit of man within him, declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding peoples reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem on that day when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her. I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move her, all who try to move it will injure, or they will injure themselves. And um, you read passages like that throughout the Bible, and, um, and then you see articles that are going on today, and you kind of can put the pieces together a little bit of where we're at in uh, our day and age, and how close are we to, you know, kind of the end times. 
and uh, uh, I was just looking on Joel Rosenberg's All Israel News, and I saw this uh, title or this um, yeah this article. It says reprehensible Bernie Sanders AOC, and it gives a list of others. Other Democrats who boycotted Herzog's speech are ashamed to America and their party. So Israeli's uh, president, Isaac Herzog, addressed a joint session of U.S. Congress July 19, 2023. Seven members of Congress did boycott this speech. Uh, seven of them, all of them, are part of the Democratic Party. And note the nature of the speech and the reason why it was being boycotted was because it was acknowledging Israel is not a racist apartheid state and they stood against that yeah they yeah so it's a very interesting article and it's something uh definitely to read i'll read a little bit of it um so last week congresswoman um ilhan omar i think you pronounce her name um announced there is no way in hell that she was going to attend the address by Israeli President Isaac Herzog to a joint session of Congress. So quite a statement from the Congresswoman. And at least seven members boycotted the speech. Um, And as I mentioned before, uh, Bernie Sanders, an independent who twice came in second, uh, so we uh, to the uh, Democratic nomination for president, 2016-2020. Publicly avowed <coughs> socialist, and for those listening, Ilhan Omar is a publicly uh, declared Muslim activist. Yep, and so the list is uh, it gives the list of all seven of them in this article. And uh, Joel Rosenberg goes on to say, such behavior is anti-Israel and absolutely reprehensible. Each of these folks is ashamed to the United States and to the Democratic Party. Yet many pro-Israeli Americans uh, from both parties are concerned that they may, in fact, represent the future of the Democratic Party as younger, more progressive activists turn steadily against the Jewish state. And this is what I find interesting and maybe prophetic about these kind of um, things that go on that take place is that there's this steady growth of anti-Semitic attitude. Um, and, and it's one of like, you know, hey, Israel's bad, Israel's racist, and never mind that many people in Israel are not Israeli. I mean, never mind some of those facts. Yeah, um, or that <clears throat> there are people who are elected officials who are not Israeli or not Jewish. Not Jewish, and that's the issue. They (laughs) say that they are given a special status in their society if you're Hebrew in ethnicity. Meanwhile, the police force, the military, the parliament, as you were mentioning, are all included with non-Jewish Israeli citizens, that you're not given a special status or an above uh, or uh, more common access to basic human rights because you are of a particular ethnicity. You see that because of this narrative, Israelis are made out to be how South Africans treated those who were um, basically hiring melanin color as second-class citizens. There were separate (coughs) laws that applied to separate people because of your genetic structure, your appearance. And then they apply this term to Israel because it's such a buzzword, just like when Bible, uh, we talked about this last night, people make the accusation of the Bible being genocidal. Well, it's not genocide. They would 
just use the word because it causes an emotional reaction. People don't look this up, but they remember the emotion of genocide associated with the Bible. So if you say racist enough, if you say apartheid enough, if you say evil Jews enough, then you get the SS, I'm sorry, the Democratic Party essentially establishing a mindset <coughs> towards the American public and the Hebrew nation, God's chosen people, in order to put forward a narrative, and that's what yeah. well, two angles. Yeah, and, and we don't that part. Thing, the yeah, article goes on and, to describe. And we that. don't mean that SS is the Democratic Party. Not no, everybody. but they're reflecting the same propaganda sentiment against the Jews. Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing I think prophetically is you know what we just read was Zechariah chapter twelve, and Zechariah chapter twelve tells us that in the latter days there would be this the this kind of hatred towards Jerusalem, this kind of hatred towards Judah. And uh, and we see that, you know, going on. And it's funny because I grew up uh, I'm, I'm over 50 years old now. And mm. and I remember a time where Hitler, like when I grew up, Hitler was uh, very much in the awareness of uh, kids as they were growing up. Like you didn't want to be like Hitler. You Hitler was very bad. And, you know, he was kind of the epitome of the bad dude, mm -hmm. you know in in my culture growing up and um and you didn't name kids hitler you didn't want to be called like a hitler you know if you if you were a hater of israel a hater of the jews man that was you were in hitler camp mm. you know that was a very bad group to be in and so we didn't agree with kkk people you know if people were into the kkk or skinheads or that kind of thing even in the punk movement in Southern California, uh, the punk rock uh, culture, you had skinheads, people that were kind of white supremacist, skinhead punkers. Mm -hmm. And and to be associated with that was pretty bad. Yeah, we all, I grew up always thinking that those were evil, bad gang type people. Yeah, so it's weird. And now I, they're college professors. Yeah, what a flip though. I mean, it's so if you would have said, hey, Bo, by the time you're 50, people in Congress would actually be haters <clears throat> of Israel mm. and be openly just, you know, calling them racist and bashing on them. Uh, it just shows that uh, us human beings really struggle. Um, we struggle so much with even just remembering history. Um, we just, we don't learn many good lessons, you know, mm. from the past. We tend to definitely repeat. So, you know, you know, the update biblically, biblically speaking is uh prophetically is that you know the more we see this grow and grow and grow i think as the article uh shared you know you're going to see more younger people more activist younger people kind of getting on this bandwagon <clears throat> of these congress people and being like oh yeah israel's bad and you're, you're going to see this more in college campuses mm -hmm. this is going to be a gradual growth and um, it's de definitely setting the stage in our country, in this country, hmm. you know, to to in a, another generation to be another generation that is very much right hmm. for the persecution of the Jews. I think there's only two flags you could walk around any U.S. college campus and potentially get violence towards you, and that is an Israeli or an American flag. Yeah, or yeah, I guess you could say the uh, 
Dukes of Hazard. I mean, the Confederate flag. <laughs> <laughs> the Confederate flag would probably be the other one. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Oh, and just for the edification of those listening, biblically, as Bo started with Zechariah 12, and as we see continued in Revelation chapter 12, there's going to be this spirit of the last days that's going to have not just a hatred of the Jewish people, but Zechariah intentionally uses the word a cup of drunkenness to all nations. Yeah. Now, I have a lot of experience with excessive alcohol, but it reduces your ability to think rationally. And as you see, especially in the days of the internet, this hatred of Israel is either based on verifiable lies or just, well, that's just the thing that you do, a tribalistic base of this is just my people group, this is just what my community says. When you look at Muslims and their sentiments towards the Jewish people, it's not based on rationality, it's based on the command to subjugate the Jews because of this vague accusation that they drove you out of your lands. Likewise, when we see the socialist movement, and Peter Martin has talked in great length yeah, regarding the status of destabilizing a nation, of villainizing a particular group on the basis of oppressed and oppressor. But even then it's not natural because Israel, as far as territory is concerned, covers about as much ground as the United States country of New Jersey. Yet, in spite of that, surrounded by so many nations that have made it their public charter to drive Israel into the sea, that they consider it God's service to exterminate the Jews for being Jewish, that the Jews are the racists and the <clears throat> oppressors. So this isn't a system that's based on rationality. It's a system based on those who don't share the heart of Christ. And as we saw in John chapter six, or uh, John chapter eight, excuse me, those who don't share the heart of God are going to share the heart of the devil, who is a murderer from the beginning. And when we recognize this, can I see the article too, by the way, yeah, real quick? Yeah, yeah, when we're talking about those who share the heart of our enemy, we rightly identify them as such. But how did our Lord tell us to deal with our enemies, not to curse them, maybe in some circumstances to mock them. Jesus kind of had a bit of fun when it was appropriate. <laughs> but I want to encourage all of you here today, not just for the United States Democratic National Convention, not just for those, say, for example, in your countries, respectively, who would reflect an anti-Semitic sentiment. We see this especially prevalent in France, Germany, and many other places. But I'd like you all to, and I know we already did, but let's pray for our enemies. Pray for those who would despitefully use us, who would persecute those who share God's heart, because this irrationality is not an intellectual issue, it's a spiritual one. And whether it's individuals like Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, uh, Nadia Velasquez, Jamal Bowen, or Cory Bush, and their association with socialism, and the idea of creating a utopia through the tearing down of the established order, or people like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who in the name of their prophet are seeking the extermination of the Jews on principle. It all comes from the same place. And as we're talking about these people, I need to emphasize this and we need to encourage this as often as we can. Yes, these are our enemies, but when we see an enemy, we don't curse them, we don't wish death upon them, we model the heart of our Lord who died for them and sought the means of getting them to heaven, even at the cost of his own blood. So let's pray for these individuals, and then we'll get to your questions. Sound like a good plan? Yeah. <clears throat> All right, Dad, I want to lift up these individuals to you, not just for Senator Bernie Sanders and those who have been called as representatives of our country, but also our congressmen and women, Alexandria Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, Ilan Omar, Nadia Velasquez, Jamal Bowen, and Cori Bush. These are names that were on your heart when you 
you were dying on the cross. These were faces, these were souls that you gave your life for, and this is something that we want to understand, even in the face of them cursing your people. As they are adding up the tally of sins that we ourselves would also answer for apart from your grace. I want to ask that you would also do a work in their hearts where they not only see what you've done for them, but see your people in light of that, that they would share your hearts not only towards your people, but towards you especially. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in their lives, to protect them, to enable them with more and more opportunities to see your name glorified through their lives rather than your wrath demonstrated towards them. But if they are not and they are to refuse, we leave that between you and them. As much as depends on us, we're going to lay them before you and ask that salvation would come to their hearts. And if not, well, then we'll grieve alongside you. But for now, we're not going to curse them. We want to model your heart. Please give us the ability to do so in sincerity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so Amen. much, Sean. <clears throat> Thank yeah. you for printing out the worksheet. That's yeah very classical. Yeah, it's good mm -hmm. to pray for people. That's awesome. Mm. Yep. All right. So, questions. Well, Layla wants to know what will the Antichrist world religion be? Is it false Christianity, since he's able to deceive, if possible, the elect? That passage it talks about, even if maybe possibly the elect. That's why we are taking out. Is that why we are taken out? I hear the New Apostolic Reformation talk about revival in America getting better. Could this be the false religion in the world? So, I guess there's a couple questions. There, one is. Who are these New Apostolic Reformation? Are they biblical? Or are they a false movement? Um, and then the Antichrist world religion, could it be a brand of Christianity that people think, oh, this is Christianity, but it's a, a heretical non-Christian religion uh, labeled as Christianity? Or is it going to be just some other completely different thing? Yeah. Um, so I guess starting with NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, the best way to deal with anyone who calls themselves or any group that calls themselves an apostle is to know what the word means. An apostle, uh, it's a Greek word that literally describes a cargo ship, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's really important to emphasize that. The mailman doesn't get credit or special privileges. All that we care about is what they have to bring us. So when Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, they were the sent out ones, that's what the word means, with the gospel. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty, of his death and resurrection, as we read in Acts chapter 1, from the time of John the Baptist all the way to his ascension into heaven when he went to and fro from among us. So understand the definition of an apostle is a historical claim. For anyone to claim to be an apostle in this sense, which NAR does, they are either 2,000 plus years old or they're lying. So start with that. Uh, the second thing is that when we just use apostle in a general term, it's vague enough that I wouldn't necessarily fault someone for it, but there's a better term for it, and we call it evangelists. Someone who goes out with a message to share the gospel. If you call yourself an apostle, it's very easy to lump yourself in, or have others think you're lumped in, with the capital A Apostles, which is simply not true. The NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation Movement, is especially guilty of this in that they claim that their writings are on par with Scripture, they claim to get new revelations, they abuse spiritual gifts. They're a cult through and through, and we do not recommend them. But upon the other hand, we're talking about the Antichrist religion. I'll say this with special qualification. Yes, the Antichrist religion, ultimately, will be a false brand of Christianity because he will claim to be the Christ. 
<laughs> in that sense. He'll claim to be the true and living God, which Christianity affirms. There is one God worthy of worship, and that that is the Christ. That the Christ is the living demonstration, the living incarnation of who God is revealed to this world, which the Antichrist will claim to be. That it is verified through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that salvation is only through him. That's what the Antichrist will claim under pain <clears throat> of death. And then, of course, when we're talking about the authority of Scripture, might be ironic, but uh, we're told in Revelation chapter 12 that he'll blaspheme, uh, 13, excuse me, blaspheme not just those of uh, the Most High, but those who dwell in heaven. Hmm. So the word of the apostles, the testimony of the hmm. saints, on and on it goes. <clears throat> so like Mormonism and Islam just sort of gone distorting, nuclear. distorting. It, and it, will you think it'll be ecumenical in nature as well in terms of, because will, will, will Muslims embrace this false messiah will they at the time of the abomination of desolation everybody will there will be two sides with antichrist and against him there yeah will be with and, and, christ and against yeah him. people will be forced people are going it says people are going to be made to worship hmm. you know so um it's i don't think it's going to be an ecumenical movement in the sense that we think of like this like everybody's like oh you know like you can do what you want to do no the this is going to be an authoritarian i mean ecumenical uh, in that Muslims agree this is the Messiah. Christians, Christians believe this is the Messiah. Uh, Jews will think that they will uh, come together and agree that this is the one. Yeah. This is the yeah. one Muslims have been yeah. waiting for. This is the ones that the false Christians have been waiting for. Ecumenical in the sense that uh, yeah, like the it point. will not push any major religion out of the door. Well, I think it'll replace them all because ultimately an antichrist lowercase a, just mm. the spirit of Antichrist religion in First John chapter 4 is just anything against Christ. Yeah. Islam denies that Jesus is the Christ, meaning mm. that they deny that he was who he claimed to be and how he proved it. Uh, Surah 4 emphatically mm. denies the crucifixion and resurrection and the deity of Jesus. That's mm. important. Um, Mormonism denies the exclusivity of there being one God and that salvation is by grace through faith and the authority of Scripture, if not compared to Joseph Smith's other false revelations. We can talk about atheism denying the nature of God. We can talk about Hinduism yeah. denying the sufficiency of you know, That's typically of the nature of ecumenical movements is that they sort of root out exclusivism and try to be more inclusive in terms of doctrine, um, not necessarily moral behavior, but I could imagine that being the case as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Revelation 17 definitely notes at the start it's going to be very inclusive, that all nations are going to try and rally behind this beast, but we're told at the halfway point the beast will turn on and consume the harlot, so mm. the picture there is less than subtle. This whole, you know, we're all part of the same whole, that the God out there is just who you deem it to be, let's just all gather into one, and these all these awful Christians and so forth, the Antichrist is going to turn the tables. Mm. So if we're asking what his religion will be, it will be glorifying himself and demanding worship, as we read in Revelation 13, as the true and living God. And much like what was mentioned before about anti-Semitism, you follow Satan, you're going to share his heart. And you may not, you know, shave your head and wear red eye contacts and drink blood mm. and sing praises to Anton LaVey, but you're going to <laughs> essentially go the same route that he's leading your heart and character. And if the Antichrist is the work of Satan in this world, then those under the influence of Islam today, under the influence of atheism today, anything in rejection of Christ, <clears throat> that same spiritual authority that they're in bondage under, is going to easily be able to recognize them. Why? Because they're deceived. And does the scripture indicate that the Antichrist or the beast 
uh, claims to be God or that he it claims to be a prophet or 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 a prophet-like figure and people right. just assume that it's God? No, the beast uh, from the earth, the false prophet, will uh, cause an image to speak, perform miracles in the name of the beast. All nations will worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. It will be centered on Lucifer. But so the, it'll be almost like a prophet-like be- character who points worship to the dragon. Much like Jesus would, in that sense, be pointing to the Father, but mm-hmm. we recognize them both as God. Yeah, and, and they, worship, they worship the beast as well as the dragon. Yeah, in, in who is the like the beast. And the book of Daniel is a great study, too, because you, when you see the Antichrist portrayed throughout the prophetic book of Daniel, it, you know, you see that uh, it is a, about self-worship, and um, it's definitely a putting down of uh, any false worship uh, mm-hmm. As far as the perspective of the yeah. Antichrist, and 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 you know him self worship, you know asking people to worship him, um, you, you know you we we kind of see this already. Uh, Sean's already mentioned a list of kind of people that have rejected the incarnation, and this is really um, the goal of the Antichrist. It is to, um, if you will. Um, um, critique and to throw off finally this idea of the incarnation. We get this from First John, actually, chapter 2 that says, uh, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father, mm-hmm. right? And so the Antichrist is going to be someone who denies the Father and the Son, right? So no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So this will be a denial, a rejection of the Incarnation and what the Incarnation says. And that is, this is God in human flesh, God the Son. This is a declaration of the rejection of the Trinity. Um, and the Antichrist religion will be a rejection of Trinitarian doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be the big thing. Now, this is what Sean was saying about all the other religions of our day. That they're already in agreement with that. They're already in agreement with that. So this will be mm-hmm. uh, a religion that can unite all these other religions that <clears throat> deny the Trinity. Um, and now, does that mean that does the does the book of revelation indicate that it is a one world religion or is it that everyone will simply worship the beast and the dragon yes both yeah, yeah. revelation 13 and 17 definitely denote the, the whole, two stages world. yeah all mm-hmm. nations will be encompassed of this the waters in which the harlot sits are many nations tribes tongues peoples mm-hmm. and kings the idea of it being laid out obviously uses a lot of themes from the old testament but when we're talking about what we know about the antichrist the one thing that every christian needs to take a heart that's not my lord and any study of the Antichrist should bring us to Jesus Christ. So what is it about the Antichrist false religion that could make us ask, what makes Jesus so beautiful? Well, let's start with the basics. If Jesus came to this world and revealed God to us, how did he do so? By saying, you follow me or die, or come follow me and die 
as I have done. The Antichrist is going to put up a mock resurrection, whether it's through satanic miracles or just outright deception and sleight of hand, or neck in this case, uh, you be the judge. But the idea is when we're talking about the work of Christ, uh, the uh, Apocalypse series, I think, did it very well when the Antichrist character was actually the image of the beast, but he was being addressed and saying, God loves his world, God died for his world, you just want the world to die for you. So if that's the fundamental difference, going again back to John chapter 8, what is the fundamental difference in the enemy's nature and God's nature? He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. The truth is not in him. Well, God has come, what? That we may have life and have it more abundantly. All those who hear the truth hear my voice. That's the key. So as far as the semantics, there's a lot of things we don't know because we're not told. There's a lot of things we don't know because we necessarily haven't studied, and there's things that we can't know until they take place. Mm. But here's what we do know. As far as the nature of our enemy, it's going to be perfectly encapsulated in this figure, just like the nature of the Father was perfectly encapsulated in Jesus Christ. What we know is that this future figure is coming, but is not yet here, because the one who restrains has not been taken away. What we do know is that when it comes down to it, that time is going to be terrible, not just because of the leader, but the hearts of men that will be perfectly in line with his. Our goal is not to model Antichrist, not be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist that is still at work in this world today, First John tells us, but to understand that we are for Christ, not against him. There will be, and there are going to continue to be, the spirit of Antichrist followers in this world, and ultimately and literally followers of the Antichrist someday. But your opportunity is to not follow that example, and it's to understand who Christ is as he modeled in history and through his word. Yeah, and, and I would just kind of uh, say that a, a good look into Second Thessalonians chapter 2 certainly lets us know that um, it says he will, uh, this is verse um, 3, or four, he will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So it certainly is a very Jewish religion feel, you know, um, meaning the the you know the religion of the Antichrist is within the boundaries, you could say, of um, Islam, Judeo-Christian kind of the world, you know, meaning, and, and the reason why I say that is because you have a, the temple is in Jerusalem, right? Uh, this is, the Antichrist is very familiar with the temple. He's very familiar with Jerusalem. He's very familiar with the religious ceremonies within the temple. Um, he knows what going into the most holy place in the temple means. So, you know, this is, this is someone who knows about uh, the religions, if you will, of the, that's why I say the Judeo-Christian Islamic world, view, you know, world. He's very familiar with these things. Um, so this is not some kind of secular hedonistic guy, you know, some Italian dude who's like, you know, Gucci wearing, who's all, you know, kind of, you get the feel, who just has no clue about religion at all. Mm. This seems like someone who's very, very um, plugged in to the 
Middle Eastern uh, religious. <clears throat> the monotheistic pillar religions of the world. That's right, the monotheistic pillars of the world. Very much familiar with this, right? Because if it's some if it's some religion of like you know Hinduism, let's say, right? Then it's like really, what's the offense, you know, <laughs> like of of you know monotheism, you know, one God? I mean, you know, they would just be like, well, you know, I mean, he yeah, just have that climb on the many gods. That oh yeah, have, and that's that's know? very much the case with the nature of Hinduism is that it's yeah. all embracing, right? So unless you know, it swallows yeah. everything, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's and, and of course um, it's not to say that in Hindu nations there's not incredible persecution and, and yeah. violence or anything like that because there is, but um, but obviously this person that's being talked about is very much in a um, in a world and like you say a monotheistic kind of setting. You see this also in the book of Daniel that the Antichrist is going to be a lot like a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes who was a real person in history. And, uh, but you because could, Jesus speaks of the abomination in the future tense, 200 plus years after they had taken place, there is a still future fulfillment of what he foreshadowed. Yeah, so Antiochus Epiphanes did something that was called the abomination of desolation. He went into the <laughs> temple. He sounded like Ilan Omar there for a second. Oh, sorry. Okay. Some people did something, yeah. and now we are having <laughs> right, our yeah, right. rights taken away. Right, totally. But anyway. Look it up, it's um, awful. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, what are we Antio talking about? Antiochus Epiphanes did foreshadow what the Antichrist would do later on. And, uh, and so, you know, the only way that, you know, you know the Antichrist knows this is going to be offensive to, to go into the temple and to desecrate the temple. Well, and First John indicates that there have been many Antichrists and that yeah. there will be many more, mm -hmm. but there is a peculiarly unique... How, well, here's a quick... We don't have any more questions at the moment, but I, I figured I'd take us on a little rabbit trail. What's you the know. connection between an, the Antichrist being a singular individual and the beast? How do we know that the beast is the Antichrist rather than just something separate than the Antichrist? Yeah, um, when the term Antichrist is used, that's one of like 15 titles that's given to him. We can go to, obviously, Bo, you mentioned Daniel chapter 11, the cruel king of the north. Yeah. We can go to Isaiah's prophet. Yeah, the Assyrian is in reference to Isaiah. There's the, um, the man of sin that's mm -hmm. referenced in Second Thessalonians 2. The man of lawlessness is man some of lawless. Yeah, the what son of perdition, as some put it as well. Um, the beast from the sea is generally, and I'll, I'll note more specifically and emphatically in Revelation 13, that's the Antichrist. But the point of emphasis that people make about the Antichrist being his all-encompassing one, that's probably one of the more brief and subtle references to him just because of his denial of Christ, and that's in 1 John chapter 4 and 1 John 2. So when we're talking about the capital A Antichrist, there's three things generally when this question's brought up that would make it so that he's a future figure, a literal figure, a human figure, and the figurehead of this worship that the false prophet accompanies, mm -hmm. that the dragon is not and yet supports and empowers, and that is, first of all, okay, was he treated as and addressed as an actual man. And you go to the passages that reference these titles, you'd note it's less than subtle, mm -hmm. that this man will do things, that this mm -hmm. man will be destroyed with the brightness of the Lord's coming. And so since Revelation has similar characteristics to when describing the beast, it's safe to 
assume that the beast is the Antichrist then. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to Revelation 13 when appropriate. I just want to establish if gotcha. it's a literal man, if it's a future figure, not a present figure or a concept, and then noting his characteristics separate from the false prophet, second not, from the Not prophet. an ideology, yeah. like the ideology of Antichrist, but an actual individual, things yeah. like that. Gotcha. And yeah. if we can establish that then as a actual figure and a future figure, go just to first john chapter 4 which you are told is in the world and is coming mm -hmm. so if there's this expectation of an ideology the spirit of antichrist but also an anticipation of the antichrist what's the difference well again go to the old testament prophecies where the son of perdition where the cruel king of the north where these individuals are described as actually doing things and that to take the idealist uh, spiritualized view of prophecy and saying, well, when it says in Second Thessalonians that the, and I'm working in alternatives here, the Antichrist will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming, it's to say that this whole attitude of being against Christ will be eliminated when Christ himself appears. Well, Christ already has appeared. Why didn't that work? It, it doesn't match up. But if, on the other hand, we're told in very explicit language that there will be a man and his army gathered together at a geographical location, Revelation 19, and preluded in 16, that an actual entity and his accompaniment, the beast, the false prophet, will be cast into an actual place, the lake of fire, the only way I've heard that would challenge that is saying, well, death and Hades are also thrown into the lake of fire, so there is room for a concept there. Be that as it may, but you don't see death's mm. armies. You don't see death being put personally, bodily, mm. into it like Revelation 19 describes. So then we get to Revelation 13, and we ask the question, who fits these characteristics? So if you want to turn there with me, this is uh, what we're told about him. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now already, and it'll become less subtle as we continue, but what are we being shown here? A spiritual overview in reference heavily to what? the Old Testament, yeah. especially the book of Daniel. Daniel. Now, Daniel's prophecy regarding this fourth beast, more on that in a second, was not just in reference to this all-encompassing empire, but the head of that empire specifically. And we see that just like with Alexander the Great, the king of Greece. Yeah, what's called she like the, the, the West. Yeah. yeah, and then you have like what's called the Little Horn in the book of Daniel, which isn't uh, a nation. It's a person. And we have that explained to us explicitly in Revelation 18, so, or 17. So mm -hmm. continuing on, I saw the beast that was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. Now, those characteristics were parts of the first three beasts in Daniel's vision, were they not? Yes. So the bear was a reference to Medo-Persia that's explained to him. Mm -hmm. The a lion was a reference to Babylon, that was explained to him, and the leopard was a reference to Greece. Greece. So then that is in mind, what was the fourth kingdom? We aren't told, because Daniel is anticipating them a long way in the future. Mm -hmm. All we're told is that his teeth and his claws are like iron, and he's wrecking house, right? So the beast could not represent a nation with individuals, but a nation head. It could. Well, yeah, and, and I think I, I think what 
Yeah, and what I gather from uh, Revelation 13 is that it's it's not an either or. It's a both and. Mm, interesting. So it, both and it's going on in the end times, meaning you have a um, you have this this fourth beast that is a makeup of all the other empires that have been described already by Daniel. There's um, and, and and that's real. There is a real empire going on in the in the last days. Just as Assyria was real, just as Babylon was real, just as Medo-Persian Empire, and just, you know, these different empires, are, they're real. Egypt's a real place, you know, real empire. So the end, in the end times, there's a real empire. But you don't throw out the, the, the clear that also there is a ruler. And uh, I think Sean did a great job mm -hmm. of, of, of showing the passages that make it clear that we are talking about an individual and the passages that uh, are throughout the Old and New Testaments are referring about someone entering the temple claiming himself to be God. That can't be a whole nation. Whole nation can't fit into right, the Jewish yeah. temple. So it's got to be an individual. Yeah, and, right? and, and again, uh, we got some questions coming in, so let's get yeah, to those. Yeah. But just going through the rest of the passage, what I encourage you all to do is just, if you have an, an alternate interpretation, plug in numbers and see if the equation measures out, to mm. use mathematical terms. Okay, is it possible that the false prophet in the name of a nation could perform signs and wonders? Perhaps, but it could also be an individual. Could it be that the nation was crippled economically or militarily but recovered? Yes, but that could also apply to an individual. When we get into the narrowest of terms, though, 2 Thessalonians 2, I think, is the nail in the coffin, because the abomination of desolation identifies the Antichrist with a literal building, mm -hmm. not just location, but right. building, yeah. a literal act and a literal declaration of himself singular. Mm -hmm. So those are the reasons why I would take that interpretation. There are others, preterists, who think that this is a reference to the Roman and, Empire. And who sets yeah. up an image of a nation? You know, not only is the beast a real thing, but it, there's also the image of the beast that everyone's forced to worship. Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses say that's the flag, and that's why they don't salute it. But there, <laughs> there, there's plenty of dumb explanations. The <laughs> gotcha. point is... But that, uh, that's true, though, that there's the beast, and then there's the image of the beast. Right. Yeah. yeah. And set up by the false prophet performing miracles to verify it. But when it comes to the different views and opinions on this, and, and it'll get into Renee's question in a minute, we need to understand the point of emphasis, the takeaway is this is not Jesus Christ. We're told these things so that we're not caught unawares, but we also need to mm. understand there is a purpose for this revelation, and revelation is not the revelation of Antichrist, it's the revelation of verse 1, Jesus Christ, which God sent his servants to show his mm. prophets, for the time is near. Well, and this has been an interesting uh, dialogue, especially for those uh, who haven't really spent a lot of time studying end times prophecy or things like the book of Revelation. So I'd encourage you that if you're listening in, uh, please go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Go to the archives where you just go to sermons, and you can actually go through with our pastor verse by verse through the book of Revelation. I'd encourage you to do it. It's a, a phenomenal study. Uh, Sean teaches, Bo teaches uh, throughout the study as you, when mm -hmm. um, yep. at times, and so I'd encourage you to do that. And it does lead into our next question from Mac of how can two people read the Bible and come away with different thoughts? Uh, and he goes on to ask, do you believe in the rapture? It would be crazy for people to just disappear, right? No. And so, <laughs> so yes, we do believe in the rapture, but um, how do we sort of explain why 
two individuals could read the Bible and then walk away with different or maybe even contradictory ideas. Because it is in fact possible for people to be wrong. Reality doesn't conform to the passion of an individual's mm. opinion. And it's probably safe to say that people, when they approach the scripture, have a bias already in mind when they approach a text rather than interpreting the plain meaning of the text just as it's communicated. Which we doesn't, have theology yeah. that we want to read into the Bible. Which yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that no one is objective, but it also means that we need to test all things and mm. hold fast to what is yeah. good. So if people get concerned, people could be wrong. Does this mean I'm wrong? No. <laughs> people can be wrong. That means people are wrong, right? No. <laughs> and then there's also the idea that there are some things that are clearly and plainly taught and there are some things that are somewhat vague, but we want to know the answers anyways, and we're asking questions that the Bible doesn't always answer, and that's how also people can come away with a contradictory idea, because they're, again, reading into the text things that you know, yeah. aren't being answered. And, and, and it, might be, it might be easy for, is it Mac? Yes. Yeah, to, to understand that sometimes when, um, if you take, like, um, if you take things literally, like that's one way to take a piece of literature. And then there's the another word. way too. You can take things figuratively as well, right? You can see, so when we read something, it depending on how we're gonna look at that text is gonna really uh, kind of uh, dictate the results that we come out of it with. So you might read something and you might, you might go, oh, well, I'm taking that figuratively as like a poem. Or, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's uh, lyrics to a song. You know, it's not supposed yeah. to be literal. It's just a figurative thing, you know. People are ignoring the genre of scripture that they're reading right. when interpreting. Right. So, so you know, some, like if you take Jesus' words, say that he is mm -hmm. the door. If you took it that literally, right, it, you would think people would say, hey, Jesus is a door. He's liter a literal yeah. door. And you would say, well, no, no, Jesus is not a literal door because um, you're, you're taking it figuratively. You're saying, no, Jesus is speaking figuratively, yeah. right? And so he's not a door. He's just telling us what he is mm -hmm. like. Revelation. And most often it's pretty clear and plain when yeah. figurative or symbolic language is being used versus narrative history and so on. Yeah, right, Revelation 12:1. Right. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, on her head a garland of 12 stars, and she cried out in labor to give birth. Oh, that's the virgin Mary in heavenly glory in her goddess form. And of course, <laughs> you're going to go Yeah, that, then you start to go, um, no, it's it first sign, sets up yeah. yeah, that with that language and it directly references mm -hmm. another vision where Joseph not only had a dream with those same elements, yeah. but what? defined them. Mm -hmm. Jacob said, are me and your mother going to worship you along with your brothers? It's the nation of Israel for corn's sake. Yeah, yeah and, this is, and this is why, Mac, a book that uh, of systematic theology is important. It, well, it, I would say even or more even so, hermeneutics. A, a book on hermeneutics, like, for yep. example, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth is a good read. Right, right. Um, and what happens, Mac, is oftentimes people don't understand how to apply good hermeneutic principles. Hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. So if you're reading, say, a historical narrative, like for example, the book of Acts, and things may occur in the book of Acts, and then I'm going to derive doctrine from things that happened, and then ignore where 
the scriptures actually teach, what we would call teaching passages, for example, an epistle, uh, where Paul is perhaps writing to uh, Timothy or Titus, or he's writing to the church in Corinth, where he's giving... About salvation or something, about what salvation is. Yeah, he's giving explicit instruction. So if I am reading the Bible and I'm ignoring the fact that in Acts it's a historical narrative, meaning it's just describing what happened, but then I'm building doctrine and beliefs on that narrative and ignoring explicit instruction in an epistle, that's an example of two different genres of scripture that you apply different hermeneutical principles to. I don't necessarily take a historical passage and, a, and make it a doctrine unless the historical narrative is giving an account of someone actually teaching. Like, for example, if Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, well, the Sermon on the Mount has good doctrine, but uh, um, so-and-so walking up to so-and-so and having having this sudden, such a thing happen <laughs> right. doesn't mean that that so-and-so and such a thing should happen to everybody. <laughs> right, right. Or, no, that's a great And, and great note, that's example. why the Bible's organized the way it is. Mm-hmm. Genesis through Esther is history. Job through Song of Solomon is poetry. Isaiah through Malachi is prophecy. Matthew through Acts is history. Romans through uh, Jude is poetry. Revelation is prophecy. They're categorized the same way. Now, you read, say, for example, the history of Exodus, and in chapter 12, is it? The Song of Moses. Okay, now we're in poetry, but in history. You handle it as poetry, because it's outlined as such. But just taking it, I guess, to the next step, when we're saying, oh, wouldn't it be crazy for people to just disappear? I don't know what that means. If we mean it would be crazy for someone to just disappear, uh, two people, obviously, there's plenty of people who have had plenty of different views on the end times. That's Mm -hmm. allowed. But if you say the impossibility of the rapture, the insanity of the rapture, okay, why is it insane? Well, God's never done that before. Enoch, Elijah, and Philip Mm -hmm. (laughs) were both bodily taken from one location Mm -hmm. to another. The third instance was from one earthly location to another, but that's not beyond God's ability. Well, it's never stated. The word rapture isn't in your Bible. Which Bible? Mm -hmm. Because in the Latin Vulgate, that's where we get the word rapture. Turos, yeah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where that word comes from. The same principles reiterated in 1 Corinthians 15, and I wouldn't use it as an argument, but the themes also reiterated in Revelation chapter mm. 4 and other principles set up of a means of provision of escape every time God judged. Are you saying it's, oh, it's not just irrational? Okay, God does do that sometimes, but not here. Okay, God did mention it, but this doesn't, that's not how that's yeah. applied. Okay, I don't like it. Well, I don't care. That, that's where you can just ultimately leave it. If I'm wrong, we're both going to find out really quick. Okay. If I'm right, disbelief in secondary doctrine doesn't disqualify you from it. You can apologize as we enter heavenly glory, and we'll have eternity to laugh about it. But we could, I think we can agree with Mac that it, it is going to be a crazy event. Not crazy, the idea of a rapture, but it's going to be yeah, radical yeah, yeah. and life transforming for a lot yeah, of people saying, to realize, yeah, whoa, yeah, no more crazy <laughs> yeah, than the other 22 things that are going to happen <laughs> for right, the next seven right, years. <laughs> right, but when we say crazy, we're not, it's not an adversarial term, like to yeah. say, oh, that's crazy. It's not, it doesn't mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Max poo-pooing the idea. He's just, right, uh, he yeah. could be saying just like, man, that's crazy. Like, that's going to be radical. See, we're know? already applying hermeneutics just in understanding Max's question. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You know, absolutely. But great question, man. Very yeah. good stuff. It you will know, be radical. You know, what's really going to be crazy, or what was, re- really was crazy is 
the graves opening up and people walking around Jerusalem yeah, during the Jesus, resurrection of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that must have been wild. Yeah. Well, last question before we end the program. We've got a few minutes left. Renee wants to know, why do you want to figure out who the Antichrist is? I mean, isn't there things that we won't know only the Father does? If we are left in this world after the rapture, will we know then? Why not just let people know that there will be an Antichrist? Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, the Bible does let us know there will be an Antichrist. There are things only the Father kn knows. That's in Matthew 24 regarding the day and the hour of the Lord's return, but we're told that's what only the Father knows. If we're left in this world after the rapture, well, we know then. Let me be brief about this because we only have a limited amount of time. We know when the tribulation as a whole, that last seven-year period, starts because of Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The point of emphasis is when a covenant is made with Israel and the world on the basis of the reestablished temple and supported, confirmed, by this Antichrist figure. By the way, we won't know specifically who the Antichrist is then yet, but we will know at the abomination of desolation. That's chapter uh, 927. Yeah. But when we're talking about the tribulation and the nature of it, it begins when this covenant, this strong covenant with many, with the nations, is going to be made with Israel. Like the Abraham Accords, and we talked about this before, our eyebrows go up. Uh, we've had people call our church and say, I know who the Antichrist is. It's the president of France, or it's Ronald Reagan, or whoever. I don't dismiss prophecies but I'm going to test all things, hold fast to what is good. And since, like you're saying, Renee, we aren't given enough information regarding a name or a nationality specifically, because Rome encompassed a lot of nations, I just keep it an open-ended book, and we can, again, laugh about it in eternity. And doesn't Revelation indicate that we can't know until midway through the Second Thessalonians period? would note that we won't have him revealed. He won't reveal himself. And people who make an emphasis and say, I can know because there's exceptions to the rule, well, how do you know you aren't the exception to the exception of the rule? Mm. The goal is to focus on Jesus Christ, not Antichrist, and we yeah, agree with you. Right? Yeah, and I would yeah. just say, watch out for false prophets. That's what Jesus said. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your questions. It's been a great day. We'll be here again tomorrow. Uh, please join us again if you haven't had a chance to ask a question. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.